You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, you're listening to Voice of Islam Radio Station, and this is the Drive Time Show, airing live uh, from Monday to all the way to Friday between 4 uh, p.m. and 6 p.m. Um, Today, again, we are here um, with you to uh, go through two topics that we do normally during these two hours. And with me in the studio, uh, I have the pleasure to have uh, a regular Thursday presenter, uh, Fahim. uh, And we also have uh, uh, a new uh, presenter with us today who um, is is joining us for the very, very first time. And his name is Osama Kareem. Asalaamu Alaikum. both of you, Fahim and Salaam So, um, two very interesting topics today. But before we go on to that, um, uh, Osama, how are you doing? And uh, obviously, this is your very first time uh, coming into Voice of Islam uh, radio station, and uh, especially, you know, presenting perhaps uh, a little bit for the first time as well. Um, I'm good. Um, it's um, a pleasure to be here today. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, yeah, hearing from Welcome you as well. Welcome to the team. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so, so what do you do um, as part of your normal uh, work? So I was born in Belgium and mm. um, when I was 16 I came here to the UK and um, studied um, in the Jamia MTA UK mm. um, to become an imam. And now, currently, I'm serving the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the department of um, the image library of the, the yeah. official image library of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Yeah, 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 perfect. I mean, that's really, really fascinating. Very uh, interesting uh, uh, job that you also have. Um, does it rain more in Belgium or does it rain more here? <laughs> I think here. <laughs> here. I think it rains here more than anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> feels like it. Isn't it? Exactly. Um, all right, uh, Fahim. So we, we're we're good to go with the first topic of a very important one. Um, uh, I th- I'll, I'll let you introduce Nutrition. it to, to our listeners, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we have um, n- nutrition for children and its importance. I think it's it's the first topic we're going to discuss today. Mm. You know, it's been in the news a lot. You remember Rashford yeah. did a lot of campaigning around it. Yeah. So. What what we're trying to understand uh, today and discuss is several studies have been done on the importance of good nutrition and its importance for children. You know, school dinners, um, lunches provided to students at school. The food, this food's quality and quantity are critical for children's healthy development. You know, as we know as individuals, everything we eat, every, how we fuel our body is mm. so important mm. to our development. You know, our health. And, you know, it's when you're at school and you're really growing and you're actually, you know, uh, 
developing your brain and educating yourself at the yeah. same time is really important to get that through yeah. so yeah we're going to discuss that today and see what the positive development of future generations can be fueled Absolutely. by good yeah. nutrition no good nutrition for children is is so important uh and and obviously we've talked about issues with energy costs going up as well mm. um throughout the country and that's not just for individuals for their homes but actually also schools are struggling um plus nurseries and other you know places um uh, within the educational sector so obviously when they are struggling with the cost then that will also impact the quality that they provide within yep. it like including food and and yeah so like it's just a ripple effect isn't it's it it's just a ripple effect but you know it's such a good system uh, you know it's it, 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 so many schools and nurseries are doing an excellent job in terms of looking after the children uh and and many of us have children i mean my my daughter yep. started nursery just 3 weeks ago and uh, oh. she was like super excited and uh although she only goes for like 3 3 4 hours yeah um it's a welcome break is yeah, it yeah yeah it's it's a welcome <laughs> break but also you know she was so excited and uh, she was like oh you know one day i picked her up and she was like uh, today i had two pairs <laughs> two pairs it's like yeah so i was like okay not only one but two yeah. so you know children they 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 do look forward to to not only working but also you know they need uh, you know some something to snack on almost every time all Definitely. the time um and and having fruit and having good nutrition is is very very important and we hope that this can obviously continue for for children as well we well, got to think about also when you're hungry mm. how much of a different person are you right yeah. i'm sure some of you suffered from being hungry right <laughs> it impacts your mood right so yeah. i think that making sure that children have he's 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 so calm and relaxed even yeah. i don't know I, i can't even imagine even if he's hungry he's <laughs> probably he's hungry. as nice <laughs> <laughs> seems that way um and no it's it's so that that simple fact yeah. that even being hungry while you're studying i know we've all studied right and we know what it was like trying to study on an empty stomach you mm. know you had to have a good breakfast and um you know there's a lot of superfoods out there but um there's a study that i just want to mention a study published in the british medical journal uh, nutrition prevention and health in 2021 it suggests that public health strategies to optimize the mental well-being of children should include the promotion of good nutrition mm. because 69% of uk parents and guardians polled support increasing the number of nutritionally balanced vegan food options available in schools 46% said they would support schools offering meat alternatives and 42% said that they would welcome more cheese alternatives Mm. So, you know, there there is a seems to be a bit of a call for for vegan food as well, right? Yeah, and and it's not just I think uh, a vegan uh, issue, but it could also be um an issue with the uh, intolerances as well. There's yeah. increasingly people cannot sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. tolerate milk, normal milk. They they Definitely. need to have uh, It's very interesting because recently I've seen over the few years uh, that I have been to, you know, supermarkets that yeah. the in, the products uh, you know the, the ranges and yes yeah. yes the products that are uh, alternative products to milk like yeah. uh, soy milk there's or so yeah, there's now. so many now yeah. and they're increasing yeah. even cheeses and yeah. all that so it, what what it does tell you is that there is a market for it for and sure. secondly that there are people who are probably having issues yeah. with with the with this kind of food definitely and you know the it having an upset stomach for example is, is just mm. one one uh, potential 
uh, issue with with milk or any other food intolerance. So, yeah. I think that's uncomfortable. And if we can provide those different options, then it's a it's a good thing ultimately, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in twenty twenty one last year, uh, uh, sorry, two years ago, we were in twenty twenty three. Yes, thank you for the reminder. <laughs> uh, a study by Corn found that sixty percent of parents in the UK believe diets will need to change in the future to protect the environment. Yes. Uh, so that tells you a lot as well, doesn't it? Well, there's a lot of um, impact uh, on the environment from meat production in there. So um, I think that looking at meat alternatives is, is going to be necessary for the future, I guess. Yeah. Um, th- or perhaps there there could be ways to, to, to make it more sustainable or make it more, uh, you know, uh, better, efficient. I've, I've actually heard that there's a company that's trying to print 3D print meat. No, yeah. really? Yeah, I've heard 3D this. print meat? Yeah, let me see How if I can find that. that. I, I'm not sure, but I remember reading it somewhere. It's, it's going to have uh, mince, right? God knows. Well, I think there was a steak. Let me have a look. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Gosh. <laughs> but yeah, if don't that, even, I, I, don't, I don't think I would, would like to taste that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some like ideas that you know soon we'll have 3D printers in our house and we'll just be able to print whatever food we want. Oh that's, that's apparently the future. Uh, right out from the movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, let's look at the uh, spiritual side of these things as well, which is obviously very, very important because Islam does uh, give guidance on every part of our life. Um, and this is the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. His name was Hazamizah Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed. Uh, he said, uh, well, actually, he did provide some guidelines for, you know, looking after children. And part of those guidelines were also uh, about feeding children in uh, in actually, uh, you know, a collection of his uh, sayings on this in the book Way of Seekers. He says that a child should be given a variety of foods and it should have meat, vegetables and fruit. All these uh, variations for dietary habits affects morals and a variety of food is necessary for a variety of morals so islam actually is very particular with even our diet that hmm. that we should not just um balance know, is key yeah balance is key exactly hmm. and but it doesn't mean that if somebody has like a medical issue that they cannot have for example too hmm. much meat or if they can't have you know dairy products that uh, they're going against Islamic teaching. If medical grounds you cannot, then you cannot. It's it's an well, exception. Too, too much meat causes gout as well, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. So things. so there is a uh, you know there is um, so much uh, philosophy and uh, wisdom in Islamic uh, teachings that your your diet should be balanced and everything that you eat and drink does affect you not mm. only just physically but also uh, spiritually. Um, right, so let's go to our first guest. We have uh, Salma Khan joining us, uh, who is uh, a nutritionist. Um, and of course, uh, she's been with us uh, for various programs on Voice of Islam. So welcome back, uh, Ms. Salma Khan. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, peace be upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me on. Jazakla. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. Um, so we're talking about... Uh, the uh, you know the the diet of of children especially uh children at the age where they're going to schools um how how does a vegan diet impact a child's growth um and and development compared to a diet that includes um animal products uh, does it have a big say in in the future when when they develop as they develop well first of all um many factors are, in, are involved in a child's growth and development 
for example, genetics, family history, health conditions, um, hormones, and of course, nutritional status as well. And um, according to research, some vegan diets are actually classed as inadequate, and then some are classed as adequate and fine. Um, Interestingly, according to research, children who are fed a balanced diet with supplements included alongside their balanced diet end up growing adequately. Um, But I think that Regardless of, you know, I think there are very, very few children who who would be forced to be put on a vegan diet. I usually come across clients who, with age, much later on when they become adults, then they choose to become vegan. Mm. There may be children who are on a vegetarian diet and they're still able to have milk and cheese. But I think it's a very rare situation where anyone would come across a child whose parents have put them on a vegan diet. I don't think that would be completely ethical either um, because children need a variety of different foods, including meat. And those children who are not eating meat, they may actually become deficient in vitamin B12. Right. And so how does a vegan diet impact a child's immune system? And are there any specific concerns parents should be aware of? Well, um, with protein, we we normally think of it as, um, you know, people talk about it in the sports industry or it's used for, it's it's, um, known to help the children for growth and development. But also what people don't know is that protein is actually essential for the immune system. It supports the immune function. So when there's not enough protein in the body, it could be coming from either meat or vegetarian sources of protein, then the immune system would actually suffer. Right. And so how do you work with parents and children to like address these negative effects of a vegan diet? Okay. So I've not come across any parent who's enforced a vegan diet on their child. Mm. Mostly I come across vegan adults who maybe because it's January or, you know, during the month of January, they want to opt into the vegan January scheme, or maybe they are vegan in the long term, Mm. which a lot of people are, but they don't usually choose to become vegan as a child. And most parents don't enforce that on their child. Um, I've come across children who might be vegetarian, but not vegan. Right, right. Um, so how do cultural and traditional food practices impact child nutrition and how can they be incorporated in a healthy way? And now obviously it's speaking about different traditions and the type of food that people have at home. Obviously the children will also eat that. Uh, does that have, a, uh, have, have some kind of an effect on, on their health? Um, I believe that all cultural and traditional foods can be made more healthy. For example, if we look at the Italian diet, where there's more pasta, and usually it's white pasta, you know, so that can be replaced with wholemeal pasta, or it can be replaced with gluten-free, higher-in-protein pasta, and with some additional protein in there. So a person or a child or an adult, they're not just consuming more carbs, but they're consuming that pasta dish in balance with the right proportion of protein in contrast to the carbohydrates because that's what you really need for development and growth, the protein as well as, as well as for your immune system as well. Hmm. And the, um, the, you mentioned gluten-free. Um, ha- have you come across uh, um, any cases of young children who, who probably are, are struggling or is that something that 
people tend to develop later on? Gluten issues? No, um, it actually can happen. So there are a lot of children who, from a really early age, they might be intolerant or allergic to gluten or just one component of gluten, for example, wheat. It can be dairy, it could be anything. So there are a lot of um, alternatives that I recommend. For example, there's an Ethiopian grain. Since we were talking about pasta, there is a teff-based pasta. Um, teff, there's a lot of teff in Ethiopia. So there's an Ethiopian company in the UK who uh, sell a pasta made with teff. And then you've got the lentil pasta, you've got the buckwheat noodles. So there's a lot of variety. And in fact, the gluten-free varieties are slightly higher in protein as well. So um, I think it's good to eat a variety of different foods. Right, and could you could you speak to the role of family meals? Because um, you know meal time and routines do, do they promote healthy eating habits in children? The key thing is that children follow by example. So if you're eating a lot of junk food, for example, if a parent is eating a lot of junk food, the child will watch and they'll copy. Um, if a parent is eating salad, then the child copies and it becomes enthusiastic about eating that salad. So I think parents, uh, they just need to set by example and that way the children will follow. Right. And uh, finally, um, you know, when, when children are uh, eating, any any advice on, on setting time? Sometimes, obviously, children, they, they, they want something, uh, you know, uh, more often or a snack or, you know, um, so so should 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 parents look at setting some kind of uh, you know uh, discipline in there when to eat when not to eat or should they actually just give the children whatever they want at whatever time? Hmm. I think there should definitely be routine. So a proper breakfast. Um, it could be anything di- di- different from from day to day. Um, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And children, they burn calories very fast. They have faster metabolisms because they're more active and they're running around. So they will become hungrier. So giving them protein-rich snacks so that they stay full, fuller for longer. For example, um, uh, crackers that are rich in protein made with lentils and chickpeas can be purchased with some hummus on top or like a, a toast with an almond butter on top of it. Um, so some pro- some form of protein with everything that they eat um, should keep them feeling fuller for longer. Um, healthy snacks, I think, are important as well. So some fruit, um, you know, uh, combined with maybe some hemp seeds, or like a a, a milkshake, a banana milkshake with some maybe uh, nut or seed butter in there for the protein component. Mm. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Salma, for your uh, your uh, contribution, your your uh, advice as well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That was Salma Khan joining us, who is a nutritionist, uh, speaking about uh, different ways uh, to uh, incorporate all the important, um, you know, ingredients that we should have in food. Coming back to the same point that we we're making about mm. having, you know, balanced diet, yeah. and that goes for the children as well. You, if you neglect, um, you know, one aspect or um, any food that they really need, then obviously that 
could have an impact on their growth. Yeah, definitely. Like the reason I think this balanced diet is is a great way to approach it as well because have you noticed that there's always like a new food that is the enemy, right? Yeah. Like it used to be fat. Yeah. You can't have fat or like you know just to stay away from carbs and you'll be fat. But like all these foods are there for a reason yeah. and it's about getting the right proportion of each yeah. one I think because you know the 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 trends always change. They always like change. They, they tell you that this is going to give you cancer and yeah. this is going to make you die. But And then like 10 years later, it's like, oh, actually we were wrong. It was this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so difficult to 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 realize what exactly. And I think it's instead of trying to just demonize one type of food and yeah. saying, oh, I can't have that. Yeah. Just have a bit of everything. Yeah. It's very interesting as well, isn't it? Because a lot of people today have lots of uh, sensitivities towards mm. different types of food and allergies and things. I'm, I'm pretty sure people had it in the previous yeah. times as well but I think there's an increase in that and it could be because of the way food is processed or maybe because mm. of the some of the unhealthy lifestyle that some some of us might some people might be uh, you know living in food probably is not up to the quality um, and, uh, and and you know of, of the right standard so that could also be one of the reasons why people have these, you know, pe- pe- increasing in, in, in different sensitivities. Definitely. And also technology, right? Yeah, exactly. We didn't know. <laughs> it's yeah. like I've, I keep getting ads for um, these tests that you can check out and find out every single intolerance. And then part of me is like, do I want to know <laughs> everything? <laughs> or, or do, do you want to keep eating Just your keep pizza? Eating, <laughs> whatever, eat, eating whatever. Because, no, because I think there's a fine line you shouldn't learn to know about yourself and get there but then if you get so obsessed with it then you'll probably overthink it overthink it and then you won't be able to eat anything and then you definitely won't have a balanced diet (laughs) exactly yeah well um, plant based foods are uh, vital for food health and development they uh, provide us with vital uh, nutrition and vitamins uh, they are important parts of a balanced diet as well. Uh, however, there are many issues associated with only plant-based diets. Research has shown that weight, height, and neurocognitive development are heavily impacted by the source, quantity, and quality of nutrition. A vegan diet can be critical for young children because it increases the risk of inadequate protein uh, quality and energy as well as other healthy components of diet such as iron, zinc, vitamin D, calcium, um, iodine, and particularly vitamin B12, which you find in obviously meats, Mm. right? So one can say, yeah, of course, you can probably get supplements today and you get vitamins and all that. That's right. But look, the reason why healthy and balanced diet is so important and the reason why Islam has talked about this is because mm. Islam came 1400 years yeah. ago you didn't have you know These multivitamins and, yeah. and iron and supplements mm. at that time right let alone you know this variety of food that we mm. now have in supermarkets which yeah. you know it's, well you it's couldn't even import and export from that or like different types of the exactly. different parts of the world right mm. yeah and uh, as Salma was saying that even different grains you know Ethiopian mm. grain or whatever yeah. like you can get different kinds which are more you know, uh, tolerable to some some uh, groups of people. Yeah. So, it shows how much uh, different uh, variety of food we have now. Uh, but Islam, obviously, one thousand four hundred years ago, gave a guidance that would work for every time mm. and for every people. Now, we're lucky that in this country we might we we have access to these you know uh, resources. We have access to multivitamins mm. and, and different you know 
um, supplements, but there are many people in the world who do not have access to those things, right? Yeah. They have simple food for them. Either it's, you know, they live off meat or they yeah. live off, uh, you know, plants or, or whatever or plant, they have. Yeah. yeah, whatever they have sometimes. So the food uh, resources could be very scarce for them. So Islam is a, is a religion that has given this um, general, uh, you know, golden rule and guideline yeah. that your balance should be, your diet should be good balance. So yeah, you definitely. You cover different things. Yeah, I think there's good in pretty much everything. Yeah. Right? There, there's something in it and that's why, like, otherwise it would have... It would have been that every piece of food would have given you everything that you needed. Yeah. Right. So because that that's not the case, you need to eat a variety of food. Exactly. It'd be pretty boring as well. Yeah. <laughs> if you would just be having supplements all the time and stuff. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, all right. Let's go to our next guest. We have Alina Petri uh, with us, who is a registered dietitian specializing in sport nutrition and plants plant based diets. Um, Alina, good afternoon. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. How are you? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, great. How are you? Yes, yes, good. Thank you so much for joining. Um, so you um, you are a dietitian specializing in sport nutrition. Uh, can you speak on the importance and impact of any uh, on or only plant-based diet on, on children's uh, cognitive, cognitive development, uh, their brain development and their performance uh, and activities uh, at, the, at their age in schools? Right, uh, of course. So children need to have a, a variety of foods and a variety of nutrients in order to grow and develop properly. Um, there's not much research currently specifically on plant-based diets and the cognitive development of children. But what we do know so far is that uh, plant-based diets in general can be considered appropriate for all stages of life, uh, including childhood, as long as they're well-balanced and well-planned. Um, so that's really important to know. And as long as that uh, criteria is met, then the child is expected to develop just as normally on a plant-based diet or a non-plant-based diet. But what becomes a bit difficult is for any parents out there, you probably know, you might plan your diet your, or your child's diet as well as possible, but they're probably not going to eat everything that you offer them <laughs> mm. or everything that's on their plate. Um, so that's where the challenge, um, the extra challenge with the plant-based diet might uh, come in, into play. Definitely. And so what are some of the potential health risks associated with plant-based diets for children? Because, you know, vegan diets require very careful monitoring and well planning. So is it something that's riskier for children? I think what's really important to say and to mention at first is that in order to plan your diet adequately, when you're having a fully plant-based diet, it requires extra knowledge. And so if someone doesn't have this extra knowledge, um, then it could become a bit more dangerous, whether it's for a child or for an adult or for an infant or for whoever. Um, if you're getting this guidance and this, uh, this, if you have the extra knowledge or you're getting it from, let's say, a registered dietitian that specializes um, in plant-based diets, then you're, you're better armed at, at starting off from the right foot. So that's really important to mention. The difference between children and adults is that as adults, uh, we have higher energy requirements. So we're able to eat a lot more calories. And because we eat all these calories, we're more likely to go and also meet our um, nutrient needs, our vitamins and our minerals, even if our diet is not quote unquote perfect. 
But children, they have smaller stomachs, um, which fill up way faster. So it becomes more important for them to have the, a nutrient-dense diet in order to be able to still get all of the vitamins and the minerals that they need together with the, the calories that they're getting from the foods that fit in their small stomachs. Hmm. Um, right. That obviously explains why uh, they're hungry all the time, right? <laughs> 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 well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, uh, coming back to the vegan diet, uh, obviously, if vegan diet is, is not well planned and, and well monitored, uh, can it cause uh, any issues such as depression or mental health issues in children? Mm, um, that's a good question. So there is more and more interest in this topic in how your diet may be influencing your um, mental health um, or, you know, aspects of your mental health. And from emerging studies, there seems to be a link between how well you eat and how well you feel. <laughs> um, there's not so much yet on a vegan diet specifically, so there's not much to say on that aspect. So what we do know is like, let's say a Mediterranean diet, which is has a lot of plants in it, but it's not exclusively plants, uh, tends to be linked to lower likelihood of depression, whereas uh, diets like high fat diets or diets that have a lot of sugar sweetened beverages, a lot of uh, very processed foods tend to be linked with a higher risk of depression. So from that you can infer whatever you may want to infer. Of course you can have a vegan diet that's full of junk foods and you can have a vegan diet that's uh, very high in uh, minimally processed foods. Mm. So a vegan diet per se is not um, as specific to, to knowing, it's not if you're eating a vegan diet for sure you're going to have a high quality diet. But it does seem that the higher the quality of your diet, whether it's fully vegan or mostly vegan, um, the lower perhaps your risk of depression, although a lot more studies need to be done on this before you can draw really strong conclusions. Okay, perfect. Um, our co-presenter, Usama, also had a question for you. Also, um, can you explain the concept of intuitive eating and its benefits for children? Intuitive eating for children, yes, of course. I think that's a really interesting one because all children are born with this intuitive eating. So what that means is that they're intuitively able to know when they're hungry. They signal uh, that they're hungry by crying, for example, when they're babies. And then they're able to intuitively also know when they've eaten enough. So it's very hard to overfeed a breastfed child, for example, because they'll just stop drinking the milk when, when they're full. So children are born with this ability and then through years uh, as we all grow older sometimes we tend to lose that aspect um, that intuitive way of eating because external factors uh, starts playing into why we eat when we eat how much we eat uh, we tend to eat while doing something else so we're distracted maybe we're not as in tune with those signals anymore or Maybe our parents tell us, finish your plate <laughs> because uh, you shouldn't waste food. And then we finish our plate whether or not we were still hungry. Um, so with time, we tend to lose that a little bit. But this intuitive way of eating, all children are born with it. And as long as they're you know, healthy children, they won't let themselves starve. And they'll also be able to uh, stop eating when they are no longer hungry. Although sometimes it's very difficult for the parents themselves to uh, kind of give up the control and yeah. let their child lead in this aspect. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because um, I have a 16-month-old, uh, year old, <laughs> a 16-month-old uh, child, and 
I was going to ask, like, so how do you know when they're just being fussy and just like throwing away food and actually just not hungry? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, well, look, I, I don't know if you've heard of this uh, concept of division of responsibility when it comes to feeding. Have you heard of it before? No, no so it's a really interesting concept. It was uh, brought forward by a well-known dietitian, uh, Ellen Satter. Uh, she wrote books about it. She has an institute dedicated to giving more uh, information on this. And the whole thought behind this is that as parents, we have certain responsibilities when it comes to feeding, and children have also a set of responsibilities. And our responsibilities as parents is to decide when is it time to eat, so to make sure that you have moments throughout the day that are planned moments to eat. Also, where are we going to eat? So is it at the table or is it in front of the TV or you're the one in charge of that or should be in charge of that? And then also what you offer your child. But it's your child's responsibility to decide once you've taken care of your responsibilities. Let's say your child is sitting at the table. It's 12 o'clock. You have decided that's the time for lunch. They're sitting at the table. The TV is off and you've uh, provided them a well-balanced meal you've accomplished your responsibilities. And then at that point, it's your child's responsibility to decide whether they're going to eat. And if they do decide to eat, what from what you offered them they're going to eat and how much of it they're going to eat. So that's their responsibility. If they decide that at that point they're not hungry, trying to force them to eat very often doesn't go very well, <laughs> as, you, as you mentioned with the food flying everywhere. So I would say if your child is throwing the food down, it's probably a sign that they're not as hungry at that moment. So you could say, okay, well, uh, it seems like you're not hungry right now. How about we pack this food away? And uh, when snack comes around, you can have something again. I'll, I'll offer you something again to eat and, and take it from there. Awesome, that's really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not it's it's easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. I realize that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to just say that, but look, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's all about trying, right? It's uh, If it doesn't work one day, you try the next day. Yeah. Try, keep trying, yeah. keep trying until, they, think until also, they become adults, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's also good to remember that a child, unless, you know, they have some sort of illness <clears throat> or whatnot, but most mm. children will not let themselves starve. So if they're hungry, yeah. they will eat as long as you provide them something that you know they also like. So it doesn't have to be 100% only the foods that they like, but that at least one of the things on that plate is something that you know they'll like. Then um, if they decide still not to eat, you know it's because they're not hungry. It's not because they're too scared of the food you put in front of them or yeah. uh, they're all new or whatnot, other factors. But right. that also helps. Okay. Well, um, I would say just put it on the table, and when they're hungry, they'll go get it. Yeah, go eat yourself. <laughs> Self-service buffet. <Yeah. laughs> Self-service, exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, Anina, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, it was great having you on. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. You can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Um, a good balance uh, in all aspects of life is uh, very important and that uh, we have already talked about, you know, eating as well. Um, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, do good deeds properly, sincerely and moderately. Always adopt a middle, moderate, regular course whereby you will reach your target. Regarding this, the Holy Quran says, uh, O children of Adam, look to your adornment at every time and place and... Uh, 
place of worship and eat and drink but exceed not the bounds surely he does not love those who exceed bounds the holy quran chapter 7 verse 32 so i think this verse is very you know standard gold yeah. advice you know for uh, in every aspect that you know yeah. eat and drink but do not exceed the bounds and exceeding the bounds could also mean you know exceeding the bounds that allah the almighty has put like you know you don't drink alcohol for example yeah. don't <coughs> consume swine or or, or uh, meat or pork yeah. um, but also ex- exceeding your own bounds that whatever your stomach allows you to eat you know only eat that much don't go crazy you know yeah uh, like it's, it's that time when you say that oh I could eat right like yeah. your mind says or your heart says yeah I want to yes. eat right now but you're actually full yeah, it's exactly. like not giving into that is really important yeah absolutely and I think on that there's in fact another saying of the Prophet uh, Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him I mean it's beautiful that Islam has laid so much emphasis on this uh, um, you know 1400 years ago the Prophet said that you should uh, eat one third of your stomach and one uh, the second third one third should be for water so one third for food one third yeah. for water and one third should be empty for air yeah and I think it's such a beautiful advice that look exactly if your stomach is full right yeah then you have no room for for hydration perhaps you know no room for water no no room for air you have no motivation no motivation you, you go into a food coma <laughs> exactly exactly you become lazy yeah. you know you become lethargic uh, lethargic yeah. yes and same like if you were to just fill your stomach with water then again you will be hungry but your yeah. stomach would be full as well so it's such a good advice uh, about how to stay healthy and I think if people just follow this advice uh, of course physical exercise is, is also important Quran mm. also Islam also encourages that but if you even l- take care of your diet yeah that you can we will go a long way, you know, having a good health. Hundred percent. They say when you're losing weight, like eighty percent of it is diet. Exactly. You know, it's only twenty percent that's that's activity and, and working oh, out. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. Abs yeah. abs are made in the kitchen, they say. Abs are made in the kitchen, <laughs> yes. Right. Um a well balanced balanced diet uh, with an ad- adequate amount of plant and meat provides the best nutrition and health benefits in the most natural way, making it the healthiest option for your children. Regarding eating habits, the Holy Quran also says, O ye who believe, eat of the good things that we have provided for you and render thanks to Allah um, if it is he whom you worship. Uh, Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 173. All right, it's time to go to our third guest for today's show. Uh, We're going to speak to Kat Martinez-Thomas, who is uh, a registered uh, dietitian joining us uh, on the line. Uh, Good afternoon. Peace be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Kat, how are you doing? Hi there, thank you for having me. I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for joining. Um, Kat, h- how do you recommend uh, that parents approach, uh, you know, the, the habit of, you know, the, the children who are being picky with their eating? And how should they encourage their children to try new foods? Uh, what's the way to kind of do that? Yeah, um, so firstly, it's, it's really important to remember that eating is something that most children will go through at some stage. Um, it's a very normal and frustrating part of raising kids. Um, but obviously, it can be incredibly stressful for parents who spend time preparing food that are then rejected. Um, but it is important not to pressure children into eating anything. Um, so instead, I'd recommend focusing on 
ways to make the mealtime environment positive. Um, so that might be spending time thinking about your day or anything that you're looking forward to, listening to music, um, anything that you can do to kind of try and take the focus off of whether or not they're eating. Um, and it's also important not to stop serving the food that they don't like. Um, so children often need to be exposed to food multiple times before they'll try them. Um, and any kind of interaction with a food, whether it's talking about it, picking it up, helping you prepare it or smelling it, um, can all help to make them more familiar with it um, and then more likely to accept it in the future. Um, and also when you're offering new food, um, I'd recommend serving them alongside more familiar foods that they're more used to because um, that can help them feel more comfortable with the meal um, as a whole rather than a bit overwhelmed at the new foods that they're not so sure about. Right. And um, so can you recommend some practical tips for parents to incorporate healthy eating habits in their children's daily routine? Like how can parents make sure the recipes they are making for their child are balanced and you know provide all the necessary nutrients? Yeah, so when you're thinking about building a balanced plate, um, try to include, um, try to think about including each of the food groups. So um, that would be starchy carbohydrates, um, so things like rice, potatoes, pasta, bread, couscous, um, and then protein and iron-rich foods. Um, so meat and fish, lentils, beans, pulses, tofu, eggs, nuts and seeds, um, then fruits and vegetables, and then some dairy or fortified alternatives um, and so generally if you're offering a balance of those foods across the day or week um, it's likely that your child will get the balance that they need um, and they're not going to eat a perfect perfect balance at every meal um, and that's okay um, and then so in terms of practical tips um, I'd say if possible try to plan ahead and um, so meal planning can really help to make sure that you're including a good balance across the week and including all of those food groups and also for older kids, that can help to get them involved um, or you can, you can get them involved in the meal planning, um, which can help them have some control over what they're eating um, and the meal times, which can then help when it comes to them um, eating um, a, a wider variety of foods. Um, also stocking up on quick and easy foods, so things like um, tinned, tinned fish, tins of lentils, beans, pulses, um, nut butter, frozen fruits and veg, yogurt, eggs, um, those are all foods that can be prepared quite easily and can be used in lots of different meals. Um, and then for building healthy habits, um, I'd say to try to eat together as, as a family and eat similar meals as your children. Um, remember that you're a role model for them, so they will pick up habits from you. Um, and then trying to stick to a regular routine around meals and snacks as much as possible um, as well. Also, um, how can parents make sure the recipes they are making for um, their their child are safe and appropriate for their age and development? Yeah. Um, so for young children under the age of five, um, the main things to be aware of are salt and sugar levels, um, as well as choking hazard foods. Um, so there are plenty of resources out there. Um, including the NHS website, as an example, that can help to um, talk about preparing food safely for young children and some of the cho more common choking hazards. Um, but mainly it would be sort of foods that are round and hard that they can't chew well, so things like whole nuts 
or raw carrot um, or boiled sweets and those kind of foods. Um, but generally, most family meals can be adapted um, and appropriate um, for young children. Um, and it's a good idea to get kids involved in family meals from early on, um, as it obviously makes life easier for, for everyone. Um, so you can make adaptations to the family meals that you cook um, by not adding salt and sugar, for example, um, or using low salt stock foods, or um, leaving out or using less of really, really hot spices, um, for example. But a good example of a, of a family meal, an ideal family meal, would be something like a, um, a curry that's made with lentils or chicken, some vegetables, um, onions and peppers, for example, and then served with rice or naan um, and maybe some, a dollop of yogurt on top. Um, and that's a perfectly balanced meal that would be suitable for, from babies all the way through to adults. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Kat, thank you so much for uh, for that. Uh, great having you on. Uh, thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll uh, connect again. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. Uh, you can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your comments. Um, of course, just picking up on uh, one of the points that Kat mentioned about being a role model. So as parents, uh, especially for children, that starts at home, you know, uh, is, which is, uh, again, very, very important, uh, setting the right role models ourselves. If we are living, you know, if we are eating healthy and uh, having um, also, you know, the same kind of food as well. If you're having, for example, a steak or a chicken and you're giving, uh, you know, vegetables to your kid at the same time on the same table, I don't think they're going to like that. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. I've noticed that with my son. Um, he eats spicy food with us. That's really yeah. good, yeah. So he just like Get them he wants what's on our plate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Um, all right. I mean, if you're listening in, if you have anything you would like to uh, to 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 share with us uh, in terms of uh, you know the the food and and the food habits and uh, f- balanced diet for children, um, then do give us a call. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number. Um, we're going to go to our next guest. We have uh, Dr. Stacy uh, Lockyer with us, who is a senior nutrition scientist from the British uh, Nutrition Foundation. Uh, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show, Stacy. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Um, could you share any recent findings or research or insights from the Brit- British uh, Nutrition Foundation uh, about child nutrition? Yes, so we actually held a conference in November and the title of this was Balancing the Scales on Diet Inequality. And so during the conference, speakers outlined the impact of the current cost of living crisis on children's diets. And so we know that sadly some children in the UK are going hungry and some parents, for example, they're trying to minimise the impact of food poverty within their household on their children by reducing their own food intake and skipping meals. Um, during the conference we also heard about some of the great initiatives that are going on within the UK to to try to help with this unfortunate situation. So for example, things like holiday clubs, so clubs that provide food to children during the school holidays where they're not receiving their school meals um, and also 
various other schemes around the UK which are striving to ensure that children have access to healthy food all year round. So the recording for this conference is available on our website, which is nutrition.org.uk. So I would urge anyone that's interested, um, they can have a look at that free of charge. Also, during that event, we launched our new community award. So here we recognise those who support healthier eating in vulnerable groups in the community. And one of the winners of that award, um, they are a teacher and they've set up a charity educating pupils on nutrition and also delivering healthy food bags to families in need in their community. So, Doctor, you, you work with schools to educate children about good nutrition. So could you, could you tell us some of these uh, the key prior- priorities that you, you know, teach the children about nutrition? Yes, so we have an education team here at the British Nutrition Foundation and they have um, many years of, of expertise in, in working in the education setting. And so we believe that education should encompass three elements and these are healthy eating, cooking and also where food comes from. So a rounded approach to food and nutrition education for children. So the education program that we have is called Food Effective Life and this provides free training and resources for teachers to help them to deliver food and nutrition education in schools. And these are all curriculum compliant across the UK. So there are lots of resources. And for example, there are lots that are based around the Eat Well Guide. So this is the UK's healthy eating model. So this tells us about the food groups and the proportions that we should be eating those in. So there are um, interactive activities for children. And the resources around the Eat Well Guide are the most downloaded um, on the website, which is foodfactsoflife.org.uk. So indicating to us that teachers are really needing support on this topic. It's also really important to us as an organization that the pupils are able to use the information that we're, that we're giving them in order to make healthier choices for themselves in real life. So we provide them with tools to help them to use the theory in practice through active learning. So, for example, exercises around how to look at food labels and how to use those to identify the healthier choices. So um, can you talk about some of the problems or success of you, you, you've had working with the school's dining services to improve the food options for students? Yes, yeah, so chefs and cooks in schools are in a unique position because they can provide healthy and more sustainable meals in schools and this can have an impact on the health of our children and also the planet. So we work with thousands of schools every year through our annual event which is called Healthy Eating Week um, last year and this year as well um, in June the focus was healthy sustainable diets So typically each day during Healthy Eating Week has a theme. So for example, five a day, fiber and food waste. And lots of school dining services use that week to showcase or spotlight healthier options that they are offering within the school. Um, And it's important to emphasize that healthy eating within the school setting is not 
just about lunchtime. It's about food that's um, provided across the whole school day from breakfast clubs to drinks, snacks, and also anything that's being provided after school clubs. Right. Um, so how does the British Nutrition Foundation um, educate and uh, I, I would say perhaps raise awareness among families uh, and other stakeholders about the importance of uh, healthy nutrition for uh, children? Yes, yeah, so I mentioned our Food Effective Life Education Program. So um, this is providing training and resources for teachers, both in primary and secondary school. And the program also has a, a social media presence in order to signpost um, all the work that's being done. And it's important to realize that the school is a hub for food and nutrition education for children. It's not just about um, the messages that the teachers are delivering in the lessons. It's important that schools have a whole school food policy. So I, so I mentioned earlier, it's about um, food that's provided across the school day. Um, in other areas of our work, so thinking about other stakeholders, we also provide information and resources for healthcare professionals. So this is important because, of course, they can pass knowledge on to their patients. And in terms of reaching consumers directly with messages about healthy eating, we do media work. So, for example, the interview that I'm doing right now, so we, we go on to television. Um, we also work with journalists, so we provide them with accurate information for their, um, for their stories and quotes for their articles. That's brilliant. Uh, fantastic. Dr. Stacey, thank you so much for you know, raising awareness and uh, coming onto the station to talk about this. Uh, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Uh, we're coming up towards uh, the hour, and uh, the news is coming up very soon in a few minutes. In fact, um, Fahim, how do you kind of in less than a minute just summarize or any f- any last few words from you? I'd say that um, balance is key. I think that you know, as Islam teaches, uh, it's great advice and will last till the test of time. <coughs> but um, yeah, I think that um, when it comes to nutrition, you can overeat in so many different ways. You can yeah. bias towards a certain type of food Look, just because you like it. You know, doesn't mean you should eat it every single day. Yeah. You know, I've I've done that in the past. Like yeah. you know, but it's it's clear that you need to have that variety and that yeah. and that. Um, you know, just even if it's like how I've convinced myself is that I could eat two pieces of blo- broccoli, right? I could eat them. I thought first, you said uh, I can eat two pizzas. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe when I was younger, but not anymore. But um, yeah, two pieces of broccoli. If I just eat those and then have the rest of my meal, yeah. at least I've got that variety, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and 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 in this day, uh, it's also a, a bit of a challenge for parents to to look after their children and make sure that they are eating properly because yeah. there is so much else that you can go and get in the supermarket yeah. there are you know tens and different types of chocolates or yeah. you know fast foods when they go to school you know outside sometimes you will see people are hanging out of you know outside chicken shops, chicken shops yeah, yeah children so it does uh, occasionally yes but you know it's it's the cultures that that also needs to be 
perhaps change and I think it's changing for the good I think uh, but again it starts from home and uh, that that does not only just have a physical effect but it also has a spiritual effect yeah. on on children and adults as well as we find from Islam yeah and just when it comes to your children lead by example right absolutely Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Join us uh, after the news as we bring you the second topic hours here. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the second hour of the Drive Time Show here on a Thursday. Um this this we've got a new topic here. It's uh it's a bit of a mysterious topic, it's divination, fraud and fallacy. So Throughout the ages, philosophers, sages and religious leaders have held differing views when it comes to the topic of revelation. These differences have caused society today to be divided into various groups, with some believing solely in science and rejecting any ideas that are not rooted in logic, while others believe in divine guidance and rely on this to answer their questions. The beliefs of religious people are often a combination of these two schools of thought, in today's society, divination is seen as an archaic concept. For most of us, when hearing the word divination, we may picture an ancient witch foretelling the future under the false pretense of having prophetic foresight. However, divination is still practiced to this day and thousands believe these practices to be accurate. Trying to know what the future entails is futile, but there are some forms of, form, forms of prophecy that are, have proven to be true. In this show, we will explore the concept of divination and try to understand whether it's really fraudulent or not. So, interesting topic. Today, yeah, huh? very interesting. Uh, there's so much uh, that uh, you know people have believed in before and different practices as well uh, in different cultures. So we can obviously all, always have a look at that. But uh, if we look at the history of uh, divination, uh, written evidence of divination being practiced actually goes back to the early uh, first millennium and um, you know it's it's something that we uh, we we uh, did kind of in history witnessed uh, through the ancient world um, it is also interesting to note that since its conception the credibility of divination has been debated and has ever been also banned in some ancient uh, societies. These bans were often for religious or um, political reasons. During the first millennium, when asked about fortune tellers, the founder of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is narrated to have said they are nothing, as in there's no importance to them. They are liars or they're just, you know, they make up these things. Then the people said, Oh Allah's messengers, sometimes they tell something which then comes out to be true. Allah's messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, That word which comes to be true is what a jinn snatches away by stealing 
and then pours it in the ear of his foretellers with a sound similar to the cackle of a hen and then they add it to 100 lies they then they add that to uh, 100 lies um, so what we understand from this saying of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him is that first of all there's nothing in those uh, you know those people who make up these things um, or falsely just you know claim to know the future but in fact some of it might turn out to be true because uh, you know it it can uh, satan can influence their uh, their their thinking as well as their intentions mm-hmm. so this could be the understanding of this uh, uh, this saying of the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him but what is clear is that you know fortune tellers uh, uh, and and this kind of practice is uh, there's no um, you know, there's no religious aspect to that as such or, or spiritual aspect uh, that is supported by the Quran or, or through the Hadith saying of the Prophets, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, no, I was just going to say that, you know, there's, um, you know, there's all these people that claim that they can, you know, predict your future and things and usually they start off by knowing things about you and surprise you right and it's usually done through a lot of just like psychology and understanding human behavior Mm. and being able to predict and guess it's the same way marketing works in the sense that you have um you know a lot of the times you think oh my phone's listening to me i was just talking about that and now i'm getting an advert for it but it's not actually that's what's happening it's the your behaviors are similar to someone who would want that product mm. so therefore that's how it's being served to you so it's not them actually reading your mind it's the them seeing your behaviors and that's yeah. where people can be kind of duped into believing that people have these abilities yeah. and i remember also watching a documentary on that actually and uh quite interesting how these fortune tellers or when they are face to face with a person uh, I mean some people are really good at reading your emotions like if you're you know depressed or if you're going through something you know a person perhaps would be able to see through you or somebody's face that okay Mm. this person is probably struggling with something or just by that conversation as well that oh how's your life what do you do if you are sounding depressed, or if you're sounding, you know, you can, as a fortune teller, say, oh, maybe you're struggling from this. This yeah. is because this happened to you. This, So it's easy to just yeah. navigate your way. Like, this is this is, this is is a skill, as you mentioned, psychology. 100%. And, you know, if you look at all of these, like, horoscopes and stuff, like, they, they are such generic advice. Yeah. It's like, you will meet someone that will impact your life. <laughs> and it is like okay, so okay. it's gonna happen anyway. <laughs> it's gonna it? happen no matter what. Yeah. So it's like it's what very generic advice that will. And then the other thing is, is that if it wasn't said to you, like if I said to you, you're gonna get sick over the next week, right? That God forbid, and that that will kind of just stick in your mind, and you'll probably end up getting sick because you'll be so stressed about yeah. like getting not getting yeah. sick that 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 seed planted in your head wouldn't have been there yeah. if you ha- if I hadn't said that to you. Exactly. So it's that kind of like. Like self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing, like where it's it's suggestive and and that's how it happens. Yeah. Rather, it's like if I say you know don't trip over that thing, you're gonna constantly look yeah. not to trip over something. Whereas if you had just walked with confidence, you probably wouldn't have tripped yeah, over. Exactly, and then this is this is kind of a big thing in some cultures as well. So it does uh, still uh, you know very much exist. I mean even 
even amongst people who do not believe in uh, any religion or culture right like even here in the UK right mm. where uh people say oh we don't believe in any uh religion or we are not religious really mm. you still see some very very strange like practices like yeah. you know this whole idea of you know touch wood and yeah. uh, even superstitions yes yeah, superstitions thing and, and even in like football as well yep. uh like you know if if some team is performing really bad for a long time like i remember you know match united was for for a long time <laughs> and some <laughs> people were suggesting you know there there must be some spell you know cast against them yeah. a bad omen or something yeah. so it is you know that uh it still exists uh in in the society so they we see that in in not only uh cultures in other parts of the world but also here um now we're going to talk a little bit about modern day divination and we have kind of touched upon this just now but uh divination is uh, as i said still practiced in this day and age in in almost all cultures um uh, uh, some strongly you know uh dismiss it as uh, superstitious uh, others you know as i said you know softly uh, accept it Despite this uh, contemporary divination is still practiced in Eastern Asia and there has been a rise of popularity in new age spirituality in the west new age spirituality what is that it's an assortment of beliefs rooted in eastern uh, mysticism and favored practices including manifestation the reading of tarot cards astrology and the belief that spiritual energy can be found in objects such as crystals Um I don't know how much you know about that uh, Fahim I mean uh, have you come across uh, any uh, crystal you know? balls <laughs> uh, yeah any crystal uh, any crystals special no. <laughs> no I've just th- yeah like I've just seen it you know the mm. weather on television or whether you know there's always someone who's able to uh, you know predict things or um I think um a lot of people believe that the Simpson the Simpsons uh cartoon predicts a lot of things apparently as well like um they did a episode apparently about 15 years ago where Donald Trump becomes president so they're saying that that was a prediction and you know I, th- I find you can find consistencies you could I could say that you know in 10 years we'll be d- we'll be able to like do like, like we'll, we'll have computers cars, in our yeah. head or something like that or yeah. you know and there's a chance it will be right yeah. right like so and so i think that yeah there's there's a it's lot almost of like a sound like prediction isn't it yeah. the way artificial intelligence and yeah. all things technology is heading there yeah. you can it's just say it's a guesstimate yeah. right it's like it's someone using actual information that they have to make a prediction like mm. you know there's all these studies that come out that say oh you know by 2030 all cars will be electric or something like that right like there's these types of things and i think that people use those and some people mistake that for uh mistake like good guesses for like actual predictions yeah now with reference to uh having trust in god his holiness the fifth caliph of the amdiya muslim community hazrat mr masood ahmed uh, may allah strengthen his hands spoke on the erroneous uh, practices of uh, using amulets and talismans and uh, said that believing in concept of bad omens is is a shirk meaning that associating partners with god so islam strongly you know condemns mm. and uh, you know discourages this kind of belief that there is something that can affect you negatively yeah. uh you know whether that's an omen or a or something that has a power over you right yes exactly exactly 
Of course, I mean, everywhere in the Holy Quran, we have been asked and, and, and reminded to, you know, stay away from evil, right? Mm. A shaitan, that we, st- yeah. we try to overseek protection from shaitan, the evil, mm. uh, and uh, evil influences. But uh, having something else, uh, you know, that uh, you cannot control or something else that uh, that that can affect you, um, you know, becomes a shirk, becomes an association of partners mm. with God. Because even in that aspect, y- those people who believe like that, they believe that even God cannot prevent them from mm. having that influence, right? Yeah. Whereas in Islam, you know, to protect yourself from evil, and in Islam, we don't believe in these kind of spirits running around trying to, you know, uh, you know, destroy you. The the protection is against evil thoughts, you know, yeah. evil inclinations, uh, bad habits, all of these things that can affect you morally. Um, well, Islam yeah. says, you know, I seek refuge with exactly. Allah from Satan, yeah. the accursed, right? So, like, it's it's there that ultimately God has yeah. every bit of power, you know. There is nothing in this world that can impact yeah. you or just, you know, there's no one can do some juju on you that can <laughs> to change your life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I think another thing, another prayer actually, was also part of the Quran, La Hawla wa La Quwata as well, that uh, there's no, nothing powerful and of uh, great uh, influence than Allah the Almighty. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, reading that also is is very important because sometimes even you know if if there are circumstances that people may be in in in, in the darkness and they might feel some kind of scared you know they're fr- fr- frightened or they might feel some anxiety even at that time your thoughts can even you know yeah. imagine that there are things right even like for ghosts and uh, ghosts yeah you can see a shadow and be like what, yeah, what, what, what was that you know so <laughs> so so again to calm uh, oneself and uh, to uh, be at ease. These these prayers are are, are always there uh, to to guide. And uh, most importantly, of course, is to uh, uh, believe that God Almighty is is the one that is above everything. So, mm. having that trust in God, having that belief in God, is extremely important. Um, if we look at uh, the example of astrology as a means to predict the future, we know that it is not backed by science. People look for ways to interpret the stars for advice. Astrology is founded on understanding the positions of the stars, which seems like a scientific enough pursuit in itself. In a famous experiment, American uh, physicist Sean Carlson had 28 astrologers making predictions and then tested the accuracy of their predictions. Before conducting the experiment, he fine-tuned the method so that various independent scientists agreed the method was scientifically sound and also so that all of the astrologers agreed that the test was fair. Published in, uh, as published in, in Nature, he found that astrologers, and, and Nature is uh, the uh, is a magazine or, or a website with, uh, with the articles. Yeah. He website. found, sorry? I think it's a website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He found that uh, astrologers could do no better at predicting the future than a random chance and a random person would do. So that tells you, I mean... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people actually who do follow astrology. You know, even mm. in like you know, like I'm this sign and this this yep. is why this is gonna happen to me or this is why I'm gonna match this person because yeah. this is even in like when people are looking for matches yeah. in our society, this is like a big thing. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think that um, I think that these things are are they do impact you 
in as much as you may think that like if you just read your horoscope like or like if you read something that says that you're going to do something mm. or that predicts you no matter what you will always it will always be in the back of your yeah. mind right like if i said to you you know what one day you're going to be rich right like if i just said that to you <laughs> you will always have it in the back of your mind like you well, know, said I was yeah yeah or like <laughs> you know like jerry said that it will always impact you in some way so i think that that's where islam is very clear and says you know believe in Allah and focus on Allah mm. and Allah is the all powerful and that kind of reminds you and humbles you that you know these other worldly things that people say or you may experience things that you may believe to to impact you ultimately it resides with Allah yeah. and i think uh, when we talk about uh, uh, we'll come to back to that later actually because we have our uh, first guest with us as well so um we'll uh, speak to our uh, our guest who's uh, joining us we have dr frank uh, cabrera uh, who is um, a doctor earned uh, his phd from the university of wisconsin uh, madison uh, his primary area of research is in the history and philosophy of science uh, dr cabrera uh, good afternoon peace be upon you welcome to the drive time show here on voice of islam hello thank you thank you for having me i'm really excited to talk to you about this Uh, great uh, thank you so much for joining um so i think we could start off with uh, um a particular uh thing that uh, perhaps you could explain uh, why cicero uh, wrote a dialogue about uh, divination uh, if you can tell our listeners what that is uh, what was that about yeah good so um, so cicero is uh, is a uh, philosopher who flourished in the first century bce uh, he is distinctive in being a highly politically active uh, statesman he was a politician but also he was a distinguished philosopher um, so he he uh he wrote this text on divination during uh during the, the dictatorship of julius caesar in 45 45 to 44 bce at a time when he was less politically active than usual. So, Cicero, so Caesar was dominating politics at the time, and Cicero thought, hey, I'm going to benefit the other state, the, the state in other ways, by publishing works of philosophy. So the text on divination, or De Divinatione in Latin, is a philosophical dialogue. So it's a conversation between Cicero uh, and his brother Quintus. So in book one, Quintus uh, defends divination. In book two, Cicero uh, He, uh, he attacks Quintus's arguments and attacks divination. So Cicero is is a character in this dialogue. So this raises interesting questions about what he actually thought, but I'll put those aside for now. Uh, so the topic of divination, it might seem a really strange subject for a philosophical work, but if we think about the background context, it makes a lot of sense that Cicero would write this. So divination played a crucial role for many ancient societies, and in Rome in particular. So the practices of divination were much older than the city of Rome itself. The Romans, they attributed their success to their religious devotion, to their, um, their engaging in these rituals to try to discern the will of the gods. And there, there were various uh, uh, state-sanctioned colleges of priests. So there were priests devoted to divination. They attempted to discern the gods' will or predict the future in, in other ways. These were called augurs. And, and this practice for them was very practical. They wanted to know whether they should hold an election or whether they should um, undertake some military expedition. And uh, I should say a bit about like, what sort of practices they engaged in. Some of them are, are a little bizarre from our perspective. 
I think so. A lot of these signs that the, the augurs looked for involved the behavior of birds. So they look at the flight patterns of birds or whether the, the sacred chickens ate food when they were prompted. So if, you, if you're wondering whether you should engage in a sea battle, you might have the sacred chickens uh, uh, released from their cage and you see if they eat the food. If they do, that's a favorable sign. Uh, likewise, the, the augurs, they looked out for lightning. Lightning flashed on the left side, that was a favorable omen. So these are primarily about asking the gods permission to undertake certain actions, but they feel also predictive. Right? You know that if you if sacred chickens don't eat and, and you, take, uh, you undertake the battle, then you will probably lose. Right? So these practices were called taking the auspices, and we still have this word in English today, auspicious. An auspicious thing is something that's favorable, so it, all, it goes back to that. Right, and um, so you you've reviewed and analyzed the books on divination written by the by Cicero, the Roman philosopher. His first book contained arguments in favor of divination. Can you give your brief let, briefly share with us your critique on this argument? Yeah, so I, I mostly agree with what with, with Cicero says in book two, um, but let, let's talk about these arguments. Right? So Quintus defends divination, defends all forms of divination, so not just those sanctioned practices involving birds and lightning, but also reading entrails and interpreting strange occurrences in nature, astrology, precognitive dreams, oracles. So he defends all of that. So some of his arguments aren't so good, not so convincing in my mind. He makes a simple appeal to tradition. Uh, he says, look, we've always done it this way. He makes an appeal to uh, the crowd. He says, everybody does this. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they all practice divination. So these aren't so good, I don't think. You know, tradition's sometimes wrong. Uh, you know, the, the majority is often wrong when it comes to delicate scientific or philosophical matters. Perhaps the, the, the most interesting argument, the main argument that Quintus gives is just simply that divination works. He says when it comes to these practices, uh, like reading entrails, astrology, uh, quote, the quote from the book, he says, identical signs have preceded identical outcomes in identical ways on a number of occasions, almost beyond counting. So he just cites a bunch of examples. He says, look, we know from past experience when the Roman generals failed to adhere to the auspices, they lost their battles. When an animal was sacrificed uh, uh, and had a diseased liver, bad stuff happened, etc. He just appeals to correlations. He says the divination worked in the past. And although it doesn't always work, it works for the most part. And we shouldn't reject it just, kind of, just, so, just because it gets things wrong sometimes. So I, I find this the most interesting thing because at least Quintus attempts to provide a broadly scientific case for divination. He, he, he says it's based on empirical observations. It seems pretty rational on its surface. You know, we use this sort of reasoning all the time. Why do I think the aspirin will cure my headache? Well, uh, I don't really know how aspirin works, but I think it'll cure my headache because it worked in the past. So it really all depends then uh, on whether divination really has this track record. Quintus thinks that it's mostly su uh, successful. So that's the key question, right? Is it actually successful? Okay, and um, what were the arguments put forward by Cicero in dispute with divination? Yeah, so, the, so when it comes to Quintus's main argument, Cicero just rejects that claim. He just thinks divination doesn't have a good track record. He says the diviners are usually wrong. Uh, they often don't agree amongst themselves. Things get a little personal here. He says, look, our diviners said that Caesar would lose the Civil War, and look how that turned out. Caesar won. So uh, on the one hand, he just rejects that divination has a, a successful track record. But another argument he gives is he tries to provide alternate explanations for these divine signs. 
So in book one, Quintus is very impressed by strange occurrences. Uh, the statue of Hercules sweated before a battle. Rivers ran red with blood, he says. Um, you know, the, the, the general fell off his horse before the battle in front of the statue of Jupiter. Quintus wants to say these are all indicative of some divine, uh, uh, you know, uh, sign. Uh, Cicero says, look, there's other explanations. He, he's aware, uh, Cicero is aware of something that philosophers of science call the undetermination of, of, of theory by data. For any given uh, phenomenon, there's often multiple possible explanations of that phenomenon. And Cicero wants to say, look, we should opt for natural causes first or, or, or think about chance. If you can't rule out that it was just mere chance or that it was, there's a natural cause, you shouldn't believe in divination. So Cicero will say that uh, maybe it looked like it was, uh, the river ran red with blood, but maybe that was just water mixed with clay, or maybe the general fell off his horse just due to chance. Perhaps the most interesting argument I think um, that Cicero gives is that, that we should reject divination because there's no possible causal connection or law of nature between the signs and the outcomes foretold. So what co possible causal connection could there be between diseased livers and bad outcomes for the Roman state. There, there's no law of nature connecting that. There's nothing that could causally connect those two things. Uh, so this is one thing that Cicero and his brother disagree about. Quintus thinks, uh, look, I know divination works. I don't know how. I know Enchil to foretell the future. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. Cicero disagrees. He thinks that you need to know why. There at least has to, has to be some plausible explanation. Right. In, <clears throat> can you tell us what your principle of Ciceronian causal nomological requirement uh, means and how it might be applied to divination involving consecrated uh, or significant objects such as tea leaves or cards. Yeah, so in my paper, I, I, I formalize this idea that Cicero gives us that we need to uh, have some explanatory or causal knowledge in order to make predictions. That's, that's the basic idea. Nomological just means having to do with laws of nature. So the basic point is you can't make predictions on the basis of mere correlations unless you have some plausible explanation of what explains the correlation. Mm. So if A and B are correlated, maybe A causes B, maybe B causes A, maybe some third thing C causes them both, which explains why they're correlated. Now, you don't need to know exactly what the, the causal explanation is, um, but there has to be some plausible candidate given your background knowledge. So maybe, you know, we don't know exactly how smoking causes lung cancer, but we know enough that there's a plausible causal explanation there to explain the correlation. The problem with divination, uh, the kind of divination that you mentioned, is that there just are no plausible causal explanations that would connect the signs and the outcomes foretold. Or what possible causal explanation could connect um, you know, diseased livers and bad outcomes to the Roman state. There's nothing, right? So we shouldn't rely on that for prediction. So you might be wondering, like, why believe this principle? Well, I think it's, it's an important principle because it, sh it, it, it guards against falling prey to spurious correlations or chance correlations. So there's lots and lots of correlations out there. Our ability to gather lots of data has revealed a lot of uh, weird correlations. There's, there's websites that document this sort of thing. So apparently there's a correlation between the number of Nicolas Cage movies produced in a year and the number of drownings in a year. So that's a weird correlation. It's probably just a fluke. It's probably just a, a, a chance correlation. Mm. If you try to rely on, on that for prediction, you, it'll probably lead you astray. Right? I don't think you should be able to predict predict the number of drownings um, in a year by just the Nicolas Cage movie. That correlation will probably evaporate. So the reason why we should care about what causally explains what when it comes to prediction is that we want to avoid falling prey to these kinds of weird chance correlations. And I think the, this principle explains why we shouldn't
use divination or, or and also why we shouldn't just engage in mindless data mining. I think there's a lesson here for um, those in data science as well. You should care about what causes what. You shouldn't just look for mere correlation. Yeah, and I think that's that was kind of my question as well at the end that in your you know, opinion on your research, professional opinion yeah. in today's world, we still find that concept, as you mentioned, you know, for superstitious uh, foresights uh, and uh, ideas. So um, do you think people generally don't really believe in that, but they still just use that to explain unexplained things? Yeah, this is, a, this is a great question. So I, mean, I was looking up some data on this. So uh, astrology is very popular. It's very popular in the United States. Hmm. Uh, I looked in. Um, I looked at some surveys about like how many people believe that astrology is predictive rather than just sort of a fun thing to engage with. Uh, or um, apparently, a lot of people in the United States think it's predictively accurate. A lot of people believe their horoscopes. Um, uh, so I think it was something like thirty percent. I looked up the UK. It was something like one out of, one out of six. So yeah, divination is still with us. Um, so is, is divination, you know, coexistent with science? Well, I, I, I tend to think not, right? I think, I think there's a lot to, I think a lot of scientists, if they read Cicero's book, um, the book two, where he attacks divination, they, they find a lot to agree with. Um, you know, it's important to have detailed empirical records. If you want to make sure, if you want to claim that divination works, I need to, need to look at the times where it worked and the times that it didn't work. Mm. There's this thing called confirmation bias. You don't want to just um, look for uh, confirming data, you want to look for disconfirming data. Cicero also has a very astute sense that striking patterns can arise from randomness. Like he often talks about chance. So it might look like divination works in your life, but maybe that was just random. Right? Randomness can generate patterns. Yeah. But I think one of the, the, the biggest problems with divination, one of the things that make it not very scientific, is that often predictions are very vague. The scientific theory that the great philosopher of science, Karl Popper, said need to be informative, need to make risky predictions. Often the foretold outcomes of horoscopes, astrology, divination are so vague that anything would count as, as confirming them. Uh, the, the ancient oracle might say, a great king will, will win the battle. Well, it's a battle between two kings. Well, of course, one of them is going to win. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the problem with divination is often its predictions are so vague it's unclear what would count against them. In my view, our, our predictions should be guided by subject matter experts, uh, not the movements of the stars or anything like that. Right. All right, uh, Dr. Frank, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Frank is a PhD doctor from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, joining us from the United States on the phone. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was fun talking about this. Yeah, great. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. You can also tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, Fahim, exactly as you mentioned, you know there are some weird predictions, you yeah. know, such as you're gonna come. There's something significant which will yeah. happen in your life that will change your life. Yeah, it's very so vague stuff. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah. the the doctor reminded me of the of the website where um, where it's called. Um, spurious um correlations and it's it's so weird like there's i've got a few of those so per capita cheese consumption co correlates with the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets like there's a correlation between these two things oh. like it's, it's it's so interesting like um there's just there's so many strange things like um people who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat correlates with the marriage rate in kentucky like it's just such a so random, random stuff yeah. yeah and like you can spend all day on it and, and like <coughs> really look at it but um yeah it just reminded me of that website i remember going down there 
and and the one he mentioned about Nicolas Cage is actually on there as well. Oh, okay. Where a number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlates with films Nicolas Cage appeared in. <laughs> it's so strange. It, it is very strange. Um, you know what? I think because in Islam we are told to stay away from such things, you mm. know, superstitions, uh, you know, beliefs, even the. Um, Sorry, my nose is a bit blocked. Uh, even when the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, when mm. he came, he said one of the biggest uh, issues that are facing the Muslim world is that they are so much involved in shirk, yep. in associating partners with God, and these these superstitious, superstitious beliefs yeah. are, in fact, associating partners with God. Yeah. These were all Muslims in India, Pakistan. You know, It was all the same at that time. In the British India at that time, these superstitious beliefs were there, and he was saying, he said that I've also been sent to remove these things, to purify and bring people back to the real Islamic teachings, where you're only, you know, going to believe in one God and uh, you know, uh, have uh, a strong belief and and not uh, be involved in such kind of shirks and associations. Definitely, because that's where like the attributes of Allah thing are really yeah. important, right? Yeah. If you understand, so. If you want to know about someone, you need to learn about them, right? So the attributes of Allah are there for you to learn about God's characteristics. Yeah. And, you know, when you know that God is the all-powerful and, you know, the all-knowing, etc., you you know, and that there's only one God, then you when you, you won't look for these things in yeah. this world. You yeah. won't look for, like, oh, someone to tell me what's wrong. You know yeah. that getting on that prayer mat or like having that conversation with yeah. God will get you there and you don't need that and I think that that's where people can be either duped or you know in some places you do believe it and, and it works well for them yeah. that's fine but um, I think that comes from a lack of understanding and belief in God because yeah. once you know uh, God and God's characteristics you I mean, wouldn't even yeah, exactly I mean that's what Allah the Almighty God Almighty says in the Quran as well many times that if you do good I will bless you you mm. know you will be blessed you good things will come your way if you yeah. do bad things then you know your life will be going in a yeah. wrong direction too Definitely. so man has uh, the fate uh, in a way in his own hands he decides yeah. what path he wants to take yeah and uh, then obviously God blesses him and uh, as you mentioned the prayers are the real power behind yeah. this you know because uh, we believe that God Almighty controls everything so he will you know if we pray and then seek help for our issues then with obviously putting in effort then of course that is going to be the deciding factor um, Saba anything you come across in terms of these superstitious beliefs or? Um, not really yeah. um, well um, the Holy Prophet of Islam Muhammad peace be upon, upon him, him said that um, don't you know what your Lord said your Lord observed I God have never endowed my uh, bondsmen with a uh, favor mm. but a section amongst them disbelieved it and said stars it was due to the stars yeah so at that time there was a mm. lot of uh, yeah. uh, belief in, in stars uh, that they yeah, like even there is now Mm. And again, the Prophet, as you mentioned, have said that, you know, uh, this is not, uh, uh, you know, uh, what uh, should be the belief. You should believe in God and that he is the one who determines the, your uh, future and your... Uh, and m much is down to you, as, as I mentioned as well, which path you take, whether you choose to do good in the world or whether you choose to... Yeah, because if God is all-powerful, but you have free will, right? Yeah. You still have... 
um, you still have and, and I think that um, people are always looking to change their circumstances when you know it's explained in Islam that just be consistent and over a long period of time you will get the reward that you want to get and it's about being consistent and yeah people are always looking for an answer or a solution and I think that once you appreciate God and uh, his almighty power then you'll kind of understand and not look for these things in in you know people or in stars or in whatever it is that mm. because you understand your purpose you understand why you're here you understand a lot more and I think that that's one of the beauties of Islam that it makes you very confident in that that you don't feel the need to look into these things yeah um, the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Yemeni Muslim community, said that there does not appear to be anything wrong with considering a person to have a certain astrolog- astrological sign according to their date of birth. But the claims of gaining knowledge of the unseen from these Im- imaginary and hypothetical astrological signs or predictions about the next life are wild guesses and mere conjecture. It has nothing to do with the reality or pure knowledge of the unseen. Uh, let's go to our next guest. We have uh, Dr. Stephanie Homola uh, on hold uh, joining us. Dr. Homola holds a PhD in social anthropology uh, and her research deals with mantic practices in contemporary China and Taiwan as the crossroads between the religious um, beliefs of Confucian and scientific uh, traditions. Uh, Dr. Stephanie, good afternoon. Peace be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Good afternoon. How are you doing? You're right. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Great. Um, well, if we can start with uh, your research, I mean, you, you carried out uh, a lot of research on the practice of uh, divination in Asian countries such as Taiwan, where Buddhism uh, is the fastest growing major religion. Do you find that uh, Buddhist people practice uh, certain acts such as fortune telling or other uh, forms of uh, divination? If yes, do you think that the practices of divination and religion can coexist in an individual's life or does it lead to a conflict uh, of, uh, of belief in, in, in their religious uh, aspect? Mm-hmm. So nowadays in Taiwan, for instance, uh, Buddhism officially condemns divination because people are said to be responsible for their fate through their own actions, so their life is not determined in advance, but is the consequence of the good or bad actions. However, historically, Buddhism has not always discouraged divination. And it's true, it is through Buddhism that Indian divination spread in China, for instance. And Tantric Buddhism also influenced Chinese divination a lot. And historically, some Buddhist monks were known to be specialists of divination, and it's still the case today. So yes, you're right, this can lead to a conflict of belief. And I met a lot of practicing Buddhist persons in Taiwan who were also practicing divination, and they were wondering if they were doing something wrong, but they were still doing it. And I think this is also linked to the Samsara doctrine in Buddhism, this is, which is the process of rebirth. So people don't know what actions they did in their previous lives that are influencing their current life. And divination is one way to try to know about it. So it's not only about the future, it's also trying to know about the past and your past life. So this is one link between, I would say, Buddhism and divination. 
Right, Doctor. And the the practice of fortune telling in Taiwan is considered an example of indigenization movement, meaning that it's ingrained in their culture. However, with the promotion of secular and scientific beliefs across the world today, do you think that the practice of divination in Taiwan is going to be soon become extinct? So the, this promotion of secular and scientific beliefs you're, you're talking about, this all started at the turn of the 20th century in China, at the fall of the Chinese Empire. And at that time, it did lead to a kind of decline of fortune-telling in some parts of the population. However, these practices, they remained widespread, and there has even been a revival in Taiwan in the 1990s, and in China more recently in the 2000s. And in Taiwan, there is a political reason for it. So fortune-telling has been harshly repressed by the communists during the Cultural Revolution in mainland China, which was in the 60s and 70s. And to oppose this, the Taiwanese government started to act as a kind of guardian of Chinese traditional culture. So what is interesting is that it used to be considered as superstitions previously, but then divination gradually became a characteristic of Taiwanese culture because it was said to be best preserved in Taiwan compared to communist China. So we can see that superstition is is um, something that is defined historically. And leading on from this, um, why do superstitious beliefs persist in Taiwan today? So we, we've just seen that superstition is a kind of labor, so this labor can change mm-hmm. over time. and. The same practices can be called traditional culture and then superstitions and again traditional culture. But I think there is another reason that can explain why these practices persist, which is the same reason why astrology is so popular in Europe, for instance. And in the daily lives of the people, practicing divination is not in contradiction with science because they don't address the same needs. So when people are sick, they go to a doctor, or when engineers want to build a new mobile phone, they rely on their scientific knowledge and skills. However, in other domains, science is not helping people, for instance, to deal with human relationships at work, in their marriage, with with children. And here, divination is of help. We also all live in fast-changing societies, which means a lot of opportunities, but also a lot of risks. And fortune-telling is a way to cope with uncertainties. So for instance, when two companies design a mobile phone, one product can be a huge success, and another one can be a total failure. There may be objective reasons for that, but there is also a good part of luck. Like why customers like it or not, we don't really know. And this cannot be controlled. So divination is one way to try to control or understand success and and failure, things that we have no control over. Right. And and do you think that that, you know, as you mentioned, the lack of certainty, the the uncertainty perhaps is is, uh, something that gives the way to these superstitious beliefs uh, now even in uh, recently I've been looking at the example of new age spirituality in in the West uh, there has been you know according to one study 150% more 
uh, increase um, uh, people looking up horoscope, uh, you know, predictions and things like that. So do you think that because of the society that we live in, as you explained, people are now more uh, getting more interested in that because they cannot explain why certain things are happening to them, why their future is going a certain way, or that they want to, you know, uh, find a way to secure a better future for themselves? Yes, you're, you're right. So there have been some studies on astrology in the West, and they show that horoscopes are, are popular actually not because they are predicting the future accurately. And we all know this when we read horoscopes, we know that they are often very vague on and sometimes they don't even apply to our situation. But they still help us to deal with uncertainty. And what makes them so popular is that mostly is because they give people energy and trust to face the day. And indeed, the majority of horoscopes, they give positive statements about the person. Or they draw attention on new aspects that the person had not considered, and it opens perspectives. And if the horoscope is bad, which can happen, it can be easily discarded, like we, it's not scientific and so on. But if it's positive, it just gives extra spirit for the day. One does not even have to believe in it. Just take this extra energy uh, to deal with the uncertainties that we all face in our daily lives. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you so much uh, for uh, answering our questions and uh, explaining uh, this to us uh, today. Uh, You're welcome. Thank Thank you very much. much. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. You can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK uh, if you wish to share with us your opinions. What's your view? What's your view on uh, on, on, uh, these horoscopes and these uh, beliefs uh, do you do you think uh, they have anything uh, you know significant to say or predict uh, do let us know what your thoughts are you can give us a call you can also tweet us um, and I think we're also asking on Instagram isn't it what what, you, what is it Sim- something similar on this right yeah there's a question on Instagram uh, horoscopes are haram true or false so let's see <laughs> let's what see. people are saying yeah you know what it's very interesting because I think that with the uh, you know the point that uh, our last guest was explaining that people need to fill in their uncertainty with something mm. you know and I think that the lack of uh, guidance spiritual guidance and lack of spiritual spiritual guidance in your life mm. will make you look for things that's yeah. strange like like this right even People who are really famous, really rich, even people who are successful in in all the materialistic part of their life, mm-hmm. right? They're still looking for or, or believing in something. Maybe it's about luck or it's about their, uh, you know, things like that. Most people, you will see. And either I think that there, there's a when once you take religion out of your life, it leaves a void to be filled. Hundred percent. It leaves a, a space of uh, of spirituality some people fill that with you know some some of their own type of mindfulness or yeah. or something that they need to you know disconnect with the world or yeah. uh focus on themselves to kind of better themselves spiritually yeah. but in fact islam as we explained that islam has said that you do need spiritual guidance as well yeah you do need that spiritual 
help from God uh, to solve our day-to-day issues. Understand. And that is through prayer. You don't need to believe in something else to 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 sort out, you know, your spiritual or nourish your spiritual side. Yeah. In fact, within ourselves, within our ruh, you know, th- this is a requirement for the soul that it needs a spiritual food as well. Yeah. But most people in the world are just feeding the physical side of it and not looking at the spiritual needs. Yeah, and I think that people are constantly looking to fill that void. And that's why, like, you know, um, people look seek for external validation, yeah. they seek for uh, money, they seek for status, power, yeah. like, or whatever it is, or in their partner, or, yeah. you know, and then get into really bad relationships because yeah. they're trying to fill that void. And, um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't like to know what, what my anxiety would be like um, if I didn't have religion in my life, genuinely, because yeah. I feel like it has um, helped me stay calm. Um, it's helped me understand a better, like a bigger purpose and to like kind of distance myself from issues that you find here because you realize, hey, you know what? Okay, maybe I haven't got this or I've lost out on this job or, the, you know, I've... Uh, this person, my f- my family member is sick or whatever, but you'll realize that you know what actually, um, I just need to pray to God and I will get those. Like that's that's, I I don't feel like I need to rely on anything yeah. because I have that connection with God. I feel exactly. like that that's, um, always very soothing. Yeah. I have someone who's there who will listen to me twenty four seven, um, and you know will always. And, and you know, like um, I was having this conversation the other day with um, someone who was talking to me about the the mentality shift after uh, having children. Yeah. And um, so a lot of people say that, hey, um, you know, if I'm a bad person, why would God like come to me? And um, you know, they say that uh, you know it's, it's said that um, if you walk to God, God will run to you, and if you run to God, He will fly to you, right? And um, uh, so he gave the example of um, which which I th- found really insightful that um, you know when your child any parent will, will probably have experienced this that when your child is being very difficult and you know like really being taxing and, and you know like making your life a bit difficult they do one little good thing and then your heart melts and you like yeah. do anything for them right and exactly. it is the same thing that imagine God has created us so that feeling of hey you know I've um you know, just that one little thing you you just got to take that one step yeah. it's just one little step that yeah. you've got to take and God yeah. will come to you and I think that um, people can often start to um, have a very negative view of themselves and yeah. say you know I'm not a good person so why would God care about me yeah. so for anybody listening who, who feels that way just take one step and you know honestly it can help fill a void in your life exactly and I think one of these six articles of uh, Islam uh, well, there's five pillars of Islam and the six articles the six yep. articles one of them is to believe in the decree of God mm. meaning that you know that yes in life something some bad things will happen to you yep. good things will happen to you yep. but they're all under the decrees that Allah has created so Allah mm. has a law of nature God has created a law of nature I mean if you put your hand in fire you're going to get burned yep. right if you put your hand in water it's going to get cold ice, you know cold yep. water so there are some and some things that, yes, you know, you can get unlucky or you can get lucky. But mm-hmm. then again, Allah the Almighty has mentioned in all aspects, you know, you should be thankful to God and you yeah. should be content. Pray and then even with prayer, sometimes your prayers are not accepted. 
like a child if if a child is asking for a pack of crisps right mm. and uh, it's time for breakfast you're not going to give your child that pack yeah. of crisps where the child really wants it yeah. same is the condition with humans as well yeah. that sometimes we ask for something that god almighty knows at that time is no good for us no good he will yeah. he will give it to us but maybe at a later stage or he might think this is no good for you i'll give yeah. you something else that's yeah, even I'll give better you something even that. better yeah so having that uh, they call it uh, can't find the right word is actually in, in, in faith faith mm. and also contentment in contentment, uh, whatever yeah. god has given you raza i think is the yeah. word used in urdu which means that you are happy and content with mm. god uh, with whatever result that he gives yeah. you you put in your 100% you pray and you put your full effort in and then yeah. you leave the matter to god to yeah. to pr- produce the right results of that definitely and i think that you know it's what you said about prayers it's really important that you know your job is to do what you can and then you leave it in god's hands and yeah. i think that once you once you know that like i feel like a lot of anxiety comes from you not doing stuff yourself like yeah. you know you've messed up or you've yeah. done something you know that you haven't done the right thing yeah. do the right thing and then pray to god and everything will be all right brilliant advice <laughs> anything uh, you want to say you saw um yeah once um uh, i think i've um um heard the questions and answer session of um the fourth caliph yeah fourth caliph um, and then once um, he he has been asked about this um about palmistry and um, divination and um, yeah. he said that um there was an american fortune teller yeah. and um he he wanted to predict something yeah and um but uh, the fourth caliph gave um, two names and then he said that those two persons um would should walk very careful in 1978 but then the names um the fourth caliph gave was um those two were actually passed away oh okay mm. so they <laughs> yeah. Very interesting yes. So yeah. again shows you that that you know this is a complete guess from a person yeah. and a person that people people can be manipulators essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then some people who are vulnerable to as I said you know mm. uh, as we discussed that some people were going through difficulties challenges they would start thinking in that way as well yeah. and then that will be their future because somebody yeah. has said it. Yeah. yeah, that means that this is going to be my future. So yes, you know we should stay away from those things and put our you know do Tie our camel. We'll do yes. do our best, and then pray and and leave the rest to God. Uh, thank you to all our uh, producers uh, for today, and uh, also to all of you listening in. Um, I hope you enjoyed the program. Uh, would like to thank the producers for today, Laiba Mubashir and Zohra Mubashir, for producing the program, and all the guests as well from joining. Yeah, and. Um just thank you to everyone i hope you enjoyed today's show it was a really interesting topic and um, and a well done and thank you to some yeah welcome to the team you've yeah. had your first show and we look forward to hearing from you in the future inshallah